yeah, I always encourage, I don't need to tell you this, I would encourage people to kind of have a, a resting place and a talking place, you know, so you're not here in the... <sighs> Yeah, that's all I'm gonna do today. <laughs> I did not have sexual relations with that one. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Hey there, and welcome to the Communications Breakdown podcast brought to you by Campsite Strategies. Each week, of course, we are talking to and learning from some of the best in the communications business, trying to break down what's working, what's not anymore. I'm John Camp, recovering TV reporter with 20 years in local news. This week, we're talking about environmental messaging. There are a few topics I found harder to sell in the newsroom, and that's why we're going to take some time with it, not just to help the obvious crew, the advocates, the allies, the evangelists of environmental mental messaging, but to give people who are on the periphery of the fight tools that they too can use to get involved and make a difference. Now, to be clear up front, this podcast will not be a forum or stage on which climate change will be debated as a concept. We will take it as fact and work from there. We're taping this pod just as Hurricane Dorian is about to start heading up the East Coast. The Category 5, at least at one point, storm, has been hovering over the Bahamas for two days now and has laid waste to those islands and is about to disrupt millions of lives as it makes its way up north. We can't directly link climate change to this storm, but fourth grade science class taught us that warmer temperatures bring warmer oceans, which means bigger and wetter storms. So we can say with certainty that in the history books, what Dorian will be is a data point on some chart illustrating at least to this particular effect of climate change. We know it's happening. It's happening fast. And today we're going to look at ways communications can be part of the solution. My guest host on today's show is Matt Starr, Upper News Riverkeeper here in North Carolina. Matt, you are literally on the front lines of the fight, and we're going to dive into what that means over the course of this show. It is great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. We're also going to hear from a number of other environmental voices on today's show. In our interviews, we talk with a top state environmental lobbyist, Dan Crawford, with the North Carolina League of Conservation Voters. We'll also talk with one of the most effective legal minds in environmental work today, Frank Holloman, with the Southern Environmental Law Center, SELC. And our panelist today is Drew Ball with Environment NC. He'll join us for the second half of the show where we'll get into the weeds of what's working in environmental messaging and how he is helping advance the cause. But let's start with you, Matt, my personal Polaris when it comes to local mm -hmm. environmental issues, kind of our, our local Lorax. I guess the first thread I want to tug on is buried in that lead, the idea of local environmental issues, because that's where we see and feel them, where we understand them, at least at the consequence level, and where we often find, as a people, motivation to speak up and get involved. Definitely. I'm your riverkeeper. I'm North Carolina-born. Uh, this is where I call home. I grew up in the river basin that I protect, and... Having that local voice that is the fabric of the community is what makes river keepers unique. We know our rivers, we know our river basins, we know our communities, and we know the threats that our environment and our waterways are facing. You know, quite honestly, I don't even know if most people know there are river keepers, and I say that with respect, the utmost respect for what you do. Definitely. So my job as river keeper is to wake up every day and fight as hard as I can to make sure that the Noose River and all the waterways going into the Noose River 
are fishable, swimmable, and drinkable. River keepers are around the world. We have channel keepers, bay keepers, sound keepers, river keepers, stream keepers on six continents. We all belong to a larger organization called the Waterkeeper Alliance. However, each of our organizations is its individual nonprofit. So you can visit waterkeeper.org if you're not in North Carolina. If you are in North Carolina, we pretty much have a river keeper on every river, which is good and bad. Good meaning you have a local voice that's going to fight really hard to protect your river, but bad because we're all employed, meaning all of the waterways in North Carolina are facing significant threats. Well, pollution's a good thing to pick up on. We, we almost didn't get you on this pod because of the hurricane. Uh, to help paint the picture for folks, yes, we are a two-and-a-half or two- to three-hour drive from the closest part of our coastline in North Carolina, here in Raleigh anyway, but we're still expecting substantial flooding inland. And when we get substantial flooding, river keepers jump into action. So you're about to be very busy. So let's talk about what you're going to be doing and how it fits into the bigger picture. Yeah, so what we do is we get in the air, so we document um, things happening from with aerial photography. You know, I guess before I get into that, what we do as river keepers is science-based. It's information-based. Um, you know, we just don't talk about pollution because we feel that it's bad. It is. But we have the hard science to back up everything that we say. And while other folks focus on the humanitarian effort, the, f the effects that these storm events have a, a true human cost. It's our job to document the environmental cost. And so, like I said, like we do, we, we get up and we fly around. We take aerial photography to really show what's going on. We get on the water um, when it's safe. We take water samples. We document the pollution. We verify the pollution. And then we have those same aerial photographers that are able to show exactly where we're talking about. Generally, when a storm comes, we, we implement what's called rapid response, which kind of pulls all of our resources, gets us all on the same page, gets us out on the water and in the air. And <clears throat> we usually are the first ones there. Uh, both Hurricane Matthew, Hurricane Florence, we were documenting environmental pollution well before the state did and holding those uh, polluters accountable. They're not going to volunteer the information. They may not even look for the environmental costs that these storms are having. We are truly on the front lines to get this information to the public, and that's what is key. The public deserves to know what is happening to their waterways, to their environment, and to their communities so that they can be informed not only during the storm, but after the storm. And then what do you tell people... Once you inform them of what's going on, how do you tell them to turn that into some kind of action item? Knowledge is power. You can't yeah. advocate for change if you don't know. I, I'm, I'm literally thinking about the mechanics of it, though. Knowledge is only power if you know what to do with it. Otherwise, yeah. it just sits there. That's true. So, I mean, how do you tell people to get involved? Who do you suggest they call? Well, folks can definitely reach out to me. We ask people to reach out to us. The Noose River is... 248 miles long. It has a 6,000 square mile river basin, and we have two river keepers. So being able to document everything that's going on is not a two-person job. It takes the community. If you pass over a stream or a river or drive by somewhere time and time again, the water 
if it doesn't look right, if it's a different color than what you're usually seeing, if it smells funky, then there's probably an issue there uh, that's re related to water pollution. And I'm easy to find. My job is to hold the state, the Department of Environmental Quality, and elected members' feet to the fire. That's actually a good place to leave it because the first interview I want to get to is with Dan Crawford. Dan is one of the top environmental lobbyists in the state. He represents a nonprofit called the League of Conservation Voters. Dan is the guy whispering in the ears of people crafting these environmental laws. And in North Carolina for the past 10 years, anyway, that's been a hard slog. The Republican majority has not been friendly to environmental issues overall, favoring industry and customer service over the role of regulatory watchdog. But Dan has been faithfully chasing pro-environment policies and votes for just as long. Here's Dan Crawford talking about how he approaches issues like climate change when lobbying lawmakers who often don't even think that's a thing. Well, I think it's like a lot of things in life. You got to find the right messenger and you got to find the right thing that's important to those people. Uh, you know, it may not be about saving the trees to a lot of members of the General Assembly, but if you could find another way to get to them in a way that's important to them, whether it be through property rights, uh, individual rights, are ways that we're able to get to some more conservative members. Let's talk about um, climate change. We, we don't say that word. You don't. Climate change. Yeah, right. Well, you don't, do you? Right. Do yeah. You, well, it's, 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 that. well that, that's part of the problem with climate change, in, in my opinion, is, you know, when you're learning about climate change, whether it's through the media, uh, if you're on a Talking Heads TV show, both sides are going to have one person each uh, talking about climate change, and where actuality and facts show that over 90% of scientists believe that the climate's changing and that it's man-made. But every, every show you watch, everything you hear, there's one each. So it would be easy for a person to see that, oh, it's 50-50 when it comes to climate change, when that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, so yeah, we, we try to stay away a little bit from the term climate change. How do you frame it? Uh, you know, look, I, I, my, my motto is keep it simple stupid, where I'm stupid and you know, I, I I always like to use the, you know, I have two little children and, you know, if you haven't ever had an ant farm, if you put too many ants on that farm, the ant farm is going to collapse and the ants will die. Trust me, I promise you. You've done this. I've done this. <laughs> <laughs> I've had an ant genocide. The earth is not much different. I mean, there's the number of people are on the planet, you know, at an all-time high, the consumption, the way that we're consuming uh, on the planet at an all-time high. So there's going to be repercussions. I would like you to accept climate change as real and man-made. Uh, that way we can start addressing it. But I have to be realistic and know that some people will never do that. And like I said earlier, you got to come at them in a different way. And so maybe it's protecting people's property rights. You know, folks that have made investments in, you know, land on the coast that's going to be affected by proper on by these changes, then you might be able to get to them. Then also you, you come at it from a physically conservative standpoint where you know, North Carolina's had two 500-year um, storms in the past three years. And if you're not doing something about climate change, you know, you're letting these folks rebuild in a floodplain, we're going to continue to waste money every big storm that comes through. And conservatives don't want to waste money. I'm, I'm not a the skies falling kind of guy, trust me. But uh, we got to do something now or it, it will be too late. Yeah, I think Dan really hit the nail on the head. Um with the false equivalency, it, it's not 50-50, right? When you have one person given the pro for, for climate change and one person given the, the anti-science point of view on climate change. It's, it's not one-to-one. -one. News has a very difficult time 
framing things that have a weighted side to them mm. accurately because they don't want to feel like they're putting their thumb on the scale when they are putting their thumb on the scale by not presenting exactly. them accurately. Exactly. Lots of times when I'll, I'll do an interview for a TV station or a, you know print media, it's always, well, the other side said this. Well, the other side's not using science. They're using rhetoric. One of the reasons Dan has such an interesting cat perch is because he lives in the lion's den. Uh, we also talked to a man who operates kind of at the tip of the environmental spear in North Carolina, who often shows up in front of those lions to make a good case for environmental policy. Uh, Frank Holloman is a top lawyer for the Southern Environmental Law Center, SELC. He's taken the legal lead on most of the big environmental issues in North Carolina over the past few years, including the coal ash spill in 2014 that left Duke energy reeling and led to substantively better environmental policy here in the Tar Heel State. I asked Frank what he thinks are the most important parts of advocacy. Here's what he had to say. First of all, I think uh, uh, the predicate to everything is you've got to know what you're talking about. Uh, so you have to spend a lot of time and effort uh, and mental work in locating the documents, knowing what the problem is, uh, understanding the problem, and then uh, more often than not, of course, you need to have a solution for the problem. Uh, otherwise, uh, you're, you're raising the concern, but you really don't have any action for people to take. I think that's the first step. Uh, then the, I think the, the second step is uh, bringing it to the public's attention. And what I mean is many major environmental issues are hidden. They're not in the public eye. And, and there are many major issues the public doesn't know anything about. The third point I'd make is somebody's got to be willing to stand up and tell the truth about what some of the most powerful entities and organizations in our culture are doing. And, and the final thing I would say is this. Speak straightforwardly and simply. Don't try to talk like a hyper expert. Can you uh, expand a little bit on the notion of of bringing the idea of climate change and, and, and these kind of big ideas down into simple messaging? Well, climate change not only is a global issue, it affects people on the ground. The actions that cause climate change and air pollution are virtually the same thing. In other words, if you reduce the amount of pollution in the air, you're going to reduce climate change. If you protect forests, which people love, you're going to reduce climate change. If you now you go for clean energy and solar, and therefore you don't have coal ash and you don't have air pollution, and you keep money at home in, in North Carolina, for example, and don't send it off to Nigeria for oil or to Wyoming for coal, or to Canada for uh, shale oil. If you keep that money at home, you're preventing climate change. There's plenty of messages to bring the issue of climate change home. Avoid the technical and get to the basic point. That's what people are concerned about, and that's what uh, uh, will convince them. And that's the weakness of the opponents. People do not want toxic substances in their environment, in their children. They want clean water, they want clean air, and they want our landscape protected. 
and uh, just tie it to those simple points. Those are the basic values that are going to carry the day every time as long as we can get those out and communicate. What Frank talked about really hits the nail on the head is climate change just isn't one thing, right? It's fixing a whole lot of bad smaller things in the grand scheme of life climate you know obviously coal ash pollution isn't a small thing but in the grand scheme of fixing or combating climate change it's it's one of the things floodplain restoration getting industrial animal agriculture out of the floodplain reducing meat consumption um, reforesting different areas removing impervious surfaces, using low-impact development or green stormwater infrastructure. All of these are little slices of the pie that will combat climate change, and it doesn't have to seem like this overwhelming, impossible thing that we've got to do. But we've got to do it. Yeah, and we don't have to do... We don't all have to do everything. It's important to remember that many hands make light work. Correct. Yeah. I mean, there, there's things that all of us can do in our everyday life that aren't going to drastically alter your life. But there are things that have to be done if we want to solve the problem. That's a great place to leave it for now. Uh, you can find full interviews with uh, both Frank Holloman and Dan Crawford on our website. We'll link you to that in our pod notes. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by another communications connoisseur in the environmental arena and get into the weeds of how these folks are doing their jobs, what's working, what's not. We'll also play some games to get to the heart of it all and wrap up this communications breakdown as every week by asking anything else. We'll be right back. Communications Breakdown is brought to you by Campsite Strategies. Campsite helps companies, nonprofits, and political types tap into their core strengths to pull out their very best stories with maximum impact. Campsite's Emmy-winning team of problem solvers and storytellers treats every client like it's their only client. Whether you want your story captured, told, and sold, or you're in the fight of your life feeling like David and need help figuring out which stones to throw, Campsite can help. Campsite will get the right information to the right people at the right time, and that can make all the difference in the world. If you've got a problem, odds are a good communication strategy will be key to solving it. Campsite will get you there. All right, we are back with Communications Breakdown. I'm John Camp, joined this week by Upper News Riverkeeper Matt Starr, and now by special guest Drew Ball, Executive Director at Environment NC. You prefer Environment North Carolina? Is that what you say? I say Environment North Carolina. Well, that's what I'll say. Drew, you've been in this game a long time. Thumbnail out some of the notches on your environmental advocacy belt for us. Yeah, certainly, and thanks for having me on. You bet. Uh, you know, I grew up in a pretty rural area outside of Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh, and so my love of the environment started pretty early. Uh, I was 
that kid who would always bring frogs home and weird things and kind of found my solace and my happy place out in the woods. So, uh, you know, I, I really kind of peg it to that. But as I got older, I got involved in politics. I felt like the best way to make change was to go and work on people's campaigns for whom I believed in. And I got a little disillusioned with that and um, eventually kind of made the jump over uh, because I realized to build lasting power for the issues we really care about, we need to work directly on those issues. And so I, um, I went to go work for the North Carolina Sierra Club and uh, worked there for a little while, went up to the National Sierra Club, was on the political team, so found a good fit there. Uh, and then uh, went over to do some consulting and ended up um, working here at Environment North Carolina, where I've kind of really found a good home. And I still do politics from time to time. You know, politics are incredibly important. And, um, you know, if we, we've got to have the right people in the right places to protect the environment at the end of the day. Well, let's talk about Environment North Carolina. It's a home for citizen activists, basically. Your webpage says, together with thousands of supporters from all walks of life, we take the kind of action that wins tangible results for our environment. So let's start there. I'm interested in knowing how you find your thousands of people, because clearly there are activists all across the state, all across America, that would like to aggregate people around their cause. So how are you doing that? And then what are you doing with these folks to help win those tangible results? Yeah, yeah. I mean, first up, I say we work with anybody. I mean, we want to have a broad coalition of folks that we work with because we know it takes everybody to win at the end of the day. Um, we are a, a like to call ourselves a transpartisan organization. We don't care what your background is. We, if you have good ideas and you want to help protect the environment, we want to work with you. But, you know, we're dedicated to protecting water, air, and open spaces, and we investigate problems. We craft solutions, we educate the public and decision makers, and we help the public make their voices heard in local, state, and national debates over the quality of the environment and ultimately our lives. And we feel like we have a, uh, uh, the public trust in, in speaking the truth and also making sure that the public has a voice because every single day there's decisions that are being made, whether it's in a legislative body, uh, a city council meeting, or even a boardroom. And we need to be there to make sure that the, the public's voice is heard. Advocate organizers often complain about not having money to do things, but bodies, numbers of supporters can be very effective in advocating for things. So talk about how you've leveraged elbow grease and foot soldiers to kind of mount some of your more effective campaigns. And Matt, I'm going to loop you in on this as well. Yeah, and I think Matt touched on this a little bit earlier. You know, people typically don't want to go and volunteer for the folks that are putting crap in the river. Uh, we've got a great volunteer base because at the end of the day, people recognize that we're all infect affected by the environment. We all live downstream. And so people want to get involved in what we're working on. You know, when I worked at the, the Sierra Club, we were really excited because National Journal put out a report that showed some of the most effective lobbying organizations in uh, Congress. And they said that the Sierra Club had very outsized power. I mean, the, for what we, the money we put in, for the number of lobbyists we had, we really had much more power than, than we should. But at the end of the day, we're right. People understand that they, they need to get involved with the issues we're working on to protect their quality of life. L let me ask this, though. How are you getting the message out to folks who wouldn't otherwise seek you out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I you know... I think that uh, it's incumbent upon us to reach outside of our typical circles. I mean, and I, I don't think enough groups and enough folks are actually doing that. We like we feel comfortable within our own space and people who agree with us. Uh, but, you know, folks come to us. We go out into the community. We find new folks. Uh, Environment North Carolina and our broader network with Environment America, we really do pride ourselves in finding young organizers um, and really uh, helping to foster the next generation of leadership when it comes to organizing as well, because that's really a big key. Awesome. Matt, your thoughts on that? You can't just stay in the echo chamber. Mm -hmm. you, you, you can't. You have to 
reach the wider audience. And, and whether that's canvassing or traditional news media or speaking at community organizations, it's, this isn't a precision shot here. This is the, the shotgun scatter shot. It affects everyone. And so you, you have to carry that message to everyone. At the time we're taping this again, Dorian is wreaking havoc. What we're seeing on TV, just a fraction of what's actually happening on the ground. And for many people, it's only when the effects of climate change is right at our doorsteps, threatening to come in that we see it for what it is. The rest of the time, we're out living our lives. We're focused on a host of other issues that are more immediately pressing to us. Broadly, I want to talk about how we can keep climate change a priority in people's lives after the storm is gone and its effects have been sometimes literally paved over. Sadly, our um, inability to focus on these issues are really making the case for us. We're seeing more frequent um, storms, more severe storms. And so there's small things we can um, make it easier for folks to, to do, um, you know, easy, making it easier for folks to contact their elected officials, um, giving folks more opportunities to get involved, I think is a, is a big piece of it. I'm going to reiterate something that, that Frank said earlier, and that is communicate solutions. These aren't unsolvable problems. These problems have obtainable solutions, some of which we've already done. We need to do more of them, like removing these large sources of pollution out of floodplains. That is a known solution. You remove the pollution, you remove the threat. And there are solutions. These are solvable problems. Let's dive into a few games we've ginned up to get to the heart of how to solve the problems, kind of the mechanics of it when it comes to getting out environmental messaging. The first game we're going to play today is called Scenarios. Uh, Forrest Gump taught us that life is a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. This game is played within the same spirit. I'm going to tee up a scenario. You're going to tell me how you'd handle that scenario and then how you communicate that. First scenario, you've got an event coming up in a few days that you've been planning, but there is this potentially deadly storm coming in, and meteorologists say it may arrive on the very day of your event. What would you do in this case? You cancel the damn event. You cancel it every time. <laughs> yeah, every time. No yeah. questions asked. And, yeah. you've, and you've got to be fleet-footed in the work that we do. I mean, you, you now have this opportunity to educate the public about the threats that are headed our way. That's one of the first things we do is we put out resources about what's out there. What are the the, um, the documented and the undocumented sources of pollution in these areas that folks are living in and going to be traveling within? And then you've, you've, got a, you've got a policy window and you really need to take advantage of it because decision makers are also now listening. And so communicate those solutions that Matt talked about and, and be true to the work that we do. And, you know, you can do the event later. Yeah, I mean, simply put, you don't ever want a natural disaster, but you don't want to waste one when one happens. That sounds kind of... That's kinda, pretty crass, my friend. That sounds crass, right? But that is when it's in the forefront of people's minds. We worked on coal ash for years mm -hmm. before the Dan River spill and before Hurricane Matthew. Without those two events, we would not have the solutions that we've had with coal ash in this state. So you did the homework going in. You were ready for the events, should they happen, but it was the event themselves that turned the turned the key. A hundred percent. You know, in 2009, when I worked for the North Carolina Sierra Club, we 
worked with researchers to put out a report called Unline Landfills. And it was about the coal ash problem. This was in 2009. We put that on the desk of every single member of the General Assembly. I don't know if anybody read that damn report. And I was living in D.C. in grad school when the Dan River coal ash bill happened. And I almost broke my freaking keyboard over my, my knee. I was pissed. And it's part of the reason I came back to North Carolina. Because we cannot be reactive to these problems. We know they're problems. We have the solutions. And we need to get on top of them before they become disasters. Yeah, the, the Kingston, Tennessee coal ash bill. Mm-hmm. Did not change a thing in North Carolina. And unless it's affecting people here, change will not happen. And so, again, whenever these terrible things happen, you have to strike while the iron's hot. Next scenario. You know a particular lawmaker is on the fence about an upcoming environmental vote that has popular support in your circles. You want to show this legislator how many people support a pro-environment vote how do you do that? What's most effective to communicate that? The, the way that we think about this is we want to elevate the tactics. I mean, the first, the lowest, lowest hanging fruit first. I mean, first, ask. You may think they're on the fence. Talk to them. They, you may have their vote. Don't go wasting your time and resources. There's a lot of other votes you got to get. Secondly, you show public support. You get petitions. Uh, and then you build your coalition. You maybe do sign-on letters. Show that broad support. Um Bill Holman, who is one of the godfathers of environmental protection here in North Carolina, told me something a long time ago. It's called the heat and light theory. It's our job to walk into that office and shine light on the solution. You go back out into your community, and they're the ones who put heat on them right there in their own districts. What Drew said. (laughs) All right, next game. This game is called Reason for Hope or Cause for Despair. No tricks in this game. I'm just going to give you one subject. You're going to tell me if it is a reason for hope or a cause for despair when it comes to the environment. And let me say in advance, I can make an argument for each of these both ways. So this is not an exercise in groupthink. Reason for hope or cause for despair. Big energy pivoting toward renewables. Definitely hope. It depends on how you define big energy. I mean, we, we have... I'll take Duke. We, we have a monopoly in this state, which causes a lot of issues when we try to move to clean energy as fast as we can. People need choice. I mean, overwhelmingly, poll after poll shows, people want clean energy. They get it. And what's exciting is that the cost of clean energy has come down so, so quickly over the past decade. And so now it's competitive with coal, natural gas, and, um, you know, the facts are there. And a lot of folks, as Dan Crawford talked about earlier, they want to know the bottom line when it comes to the economy. Well, clean energy is now one of the most efficient and most affordable ways to power homes. But if big energy, in this case, let's say Duke comes in and even switches much of its portfolio over to solar at the same time as it's preventing regular consumer rooftop solar through advocacy on its own behalf, its own lobbying efforts, is it worth it? Right? I mean, if it's, if it's going to deny people at every turn, if it's going to work hard to deny people rooftop solar, and that's really the direction we ought to be pushing. I don't think you can take it as a lump sum. Uh-huh. It, you look at it and you say, is this what is best for the environment and for climate change and for affecting the global civilization? Yes. Okay. It's just like we're seeing huge uh, Smithville Foods and others invest in non-meat products but but they're not out there lobbying against people who are raising chickens in their own home that's the analogy here it'd be like it'd be like you know smithfield saying you can't have chickens in your house choice is key i think we do need more choice in our in our energy options all right next one donald trump reason for hope or cause (laughs) for despair (laughs) the the elections next year so that's that's a reason for hope quite honestly a lot of the folks that 
you guys are gravitating toward and using in your own campaigns, right? He has brought a lot of citizen activists out of the woodwork, and I would think that's a good thing for everybody. Depends on what they're advocating for. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, next, next game is uh, which platform? In this game, I'm going to tee up a series of events. You're going to tell me which social media platform you would post these events on if, if you only did one. You only had time to get one out, um, at least to start with. Uh, the first event, a colleague hips you to some new report reinforcing your messaging. Which platform are you going to put this new report out to your audience on to make the biggest splash? A lot of the thought leaders are on, on Twitter. So if you wanted to get out quickly, I would go with Twitter. If we're trying to reach, you know, the older social media crowd, it's Facebook. If we're trying to create uh, policy change or get this to reporters, it's Twitter. Uh, the younger, you know, younger folks, good Lord, I'm not some old man here. But uh, <laughs> the college crowd would be, you know, uh, Instagram or Snapchat. Um it's been really interesting to see which crowds gravitate to which social media platforms. Well, if you had great, let's say, raw video uh, of an environmental offense in action, what are you putting that out on? Instagram and Facebook. I would even go Facebook Live. Facebook Live, if, it, if you, you can. can. get out to it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, third one here, you go to a river cleanup, you get some really good organic pics. So volunteers are just rocking it. Uh, these are just you know pictures, but they definitely tell the story. Which platform? Instagram. Agreed on Instagram. Okay. What tactics are you guys finding effective to rally people on social media? Are there ways yeah. in which you're getting eyeballs? So if well, let's say we put out an action alert, and let's say we put it out on Twitter, Facebook, a link on Instagram. Now, I'll, I'll get more views or, or what have you on, on Twitter, but more actual people taking action, Facebook, without fail. Same with you, Drew? Yeah, and I would even take it a step further. I mean, if you can get to the back end with business manager, if you can get a little funding and, and target that out to specific areas and have that conversation directly with folks you know will engage with that, it's even even better. Sweet. Next game, huge topic, short answer. In this game, you each get 30 seconds to thumbnail issues of enormous consequence. I just basically want your elevator pitch on the topic here. Uh, the first one's global warming. What is it and why do we care? Drew, take it. So human activity is is changing the way that um, our climate reacts. It's making storms more intense. It is uh, melting ice caps at rates that are alarming. And it affects everyone across this planet. It's a global challenge, uh, and it is daunting. But uh, we recognize that a lot of leaders around the world, sadly the United States is falling behind right now, are, are picking up. Uh, steam to actually tackle this and we it's going to be something we're facing regardless so we need to work together to find solutions right on time 30 seconds whether it's climate change or global warming whether or not you think it's 100 percent man-made largely man-made not man-made and it's just happening it will affect your life and we have to do things that can bat how this will affect your livelihood your pocketbook and your environment. Next topic, environmentalism. More specifically, what it means to be an environmentalist. Same order. Drew. Matt, I'm going to steal this from you and say it again, but we all live downstream. I think we are all environmentalists at the end of the day because we are all affected by our environment. We all need clean air, clean water. Republican or Democrat, when your kid goes to school, if there's lead in their drinking water, it's going to harm them. It's going to make it harder for them to learn and potentially give them disabilities. So we are all part of our environment. Yeah, we all need clean and clear water. Like I said, it doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, connected, not connected. 
Republican, Democrat, upstream, downstream. We all need clean water. Does that make us all environmentalists? It should. Okay. Partisanship. Huge topic. Short answer. Matt, you're starting this time. Partisanship. Part of the problem or key to the solution? It is the problem. Clean air and clean water has become a partisan issue, which is ridiculous. You can't have something that affects everyone be a partisan issue. Strong regulations do not mean a weak economy. That is BS, and we have to show that. As it's a huge problem. I mean, there are a lot of factors contributing to the... um the, the, the great divide in the middle of our politics. We, we are not even talking to each other anymore. We're not even using the same facts anymore. Um, but it is a, it's a huge problem. And it's sad because, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, Republican president, was a leader in the conservation movement. Um, the Clean Water Act, the EPA, were cre- created under the Nixon administration with the Democratic Congress. We used to be able to work together to protect our environment. And um, we at Environment North Carolina are dedicated to working with anyone across any aisle to find the solutions to these problems and work together. Agreed. Now let's move on to our last game here, Mad Libs. This is a lightning round designed to root out the best tactics and strategies for communicators and igniters of change. Question number one, the social platform most friendly to environmental issues? Depends on who you follow. It goes back to partisanship. You can build a world within your Twitter that everyone agrees with you. Uh So you can kind of build build your own world when it comes to that. On any platform? Any platform. Okay, how about you? Any thoughts on that? I'd say Facebook creates the most dialogue from people who agree or disagree with with what we're posting. The best resource that pairs volunteers with opportunities. Facebook. Facebook. Yep. Uh, We post all our events across our social platforms, and Facebook has the the easiest way to get people to an event. And also a plug for Governor Cooper's um, initiative to increase volunteerism, especially after a lot of the hurricanes have been connecting people with some really great resources to get involved. How about the best resource for environmental news? Twitter. Again, you're just all about social media. I'm thinking like actual news providing sites. but you Twitter. Just, but, but again, you've got to you, follow the right people to get the well, right yeah, news. I mean, yes, you do have to know who to follow. But instead of checking the Washington Post or the Times or your local paper or a TV show, you can funnel all that in. Most of the reporters, all reporters these days, are put in their platforms on Twitter. The large media groups are. Um, and there's clearing houses within Twitter that will tweet out the most, you know, topics of environmental news. So that's your source you for news. Which you don't have to pay for. Yeah, that's your source for news, Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, if you find a good hashtag, you can really dig into to what's out there. And uh, Twitter will tell you who some of the thought leaders are commenting on that. But, you know, I would say get on some good listservs. Capital Broadcasting has a good one. Real Facts NC has a good one. Conservation Network, if you're a part of Conservation Network, will get that information out. And, uh, you know, shout out to Lisa Sorg, who uh, works her tail off to, to get around the state and report on some of the most pressing issues. How about the best thing that a group can do to get their event, rally, or protest into the news, earn media stuff? Yeah, simply look around for some reporters who have covered a similar event Mm -hmm. and get your information to them. If they've covered something similar in the past, they're much more apt to cover something for you. If you do a wide scatter to a, you know, 110 reporters on on a huge email blast, it's not likely to get the attention as if you find someone who's previously covered that event. That's great. Great advice, yeah. 
Yeah, maybe I'm old school, but I'm still a good fan of a uh, good media advisory. Big fan of a good media advisory. Uh, and not just stopping there, but work your list, make your calls, reach out to your reporters, tweet at them, call them. You got to work hard to get folks out. You mentioned hashtags earlier. Let's end this Mad Libs round on that. Are there hashtags you like? What is What are particularly effective ways to communicate with your audience? We've been using hashtag act on climate a lot. You getting uh, good purchase with that? Or? Yeah. We, we've A lot of folks are using uh, hashtag act on climate. Uh, we've been pushing hashtag climate flops because our U.S. Senators, Tillis and Burr, are, even though it's flip-flop season in North Carolina, folks are down at the beach, uh, our Senators are total flops when it comes to protecting us from the impacts of climate change and protecting our health. And then we've been using hashtag don't drill and see as the threat of offshore drilling has reared its ugly head on our coast, even though uh, communities up and down North Carolina have passed resolutions and spoken out against it. The threat is still there, so we're using hashtag don't drill and see and then Jean-Luc our offshore drilling organizer uh, I don't know if he came up with this but he likes to use hashtag this is not a drill which I, I like that one a lot <laughs> how about you yeah man? for me it's really issue focused and using hashtags is important you should be hashtagging pretty much everything you're doing if it's newsworthy and the fallback for me is always hashtag clean water I want to leave this episode uh, with a note of hope. And so, with acknowledged irony, I'm going to throw out a final idea that plagues me on the daily, and I want each of you to try to talk me down. So here's my thought. It seems to me the magnitude of the environmental challenges that confront us as a species is never, ever matched by the solutions proposed. By an order of magnitude, it seems, that our political leaders will offer solutions just nibbling at the edges. This leaves us one, maybe two generations away then from extraordinary upheaval driven by climate change and related issues. So if our leaders can't seem to find the courage to get us there and time is running out, folks in Dorian's path may say for them, time has run out. Talk me down. What's the way out? Drew. I would say uh, breathe. Um, take it all in. I think at the end of the day, we're winning. Um, the cost of clean energy, as we mentioned, has dropped um, to the point where it's now competitive with a lot of dirty forms of energy. Um, and if you look across the country, uh, I think we're up to five states now that uh, I'm, you know, I'm losing track that have passed laws committing to 100% clean energy. Um, there are business leaders across the country, major corporations that have that see the writing on the wall and have committed to 100% clean energy. And the next generation of, of folks coming up understand this. And I'm really, really hopeful about these young people who are coming up and um, you know speaking the tr truth to power and working really hard to tackle this because they know it affects them more than anybody. Well, I feel a little bit better. That's not bad. That's pretty good. That's a, I can tell my kids that tonight. They'll go to sleep a little easier. How about you? Yeah, I mean, just to tie into that is this is not something that's unachievable we have solutions to fix these problems you don't have to look at it as climate change is this big dark cloud that's hovering over us that no one can solve rather that's stormwater clean energy pollution meat consumption all of these things that are creating the climate change that, that is going to affect us have solutions. So don't get bogged down. Don't, don't feel that it's this mountain that you just can't ever summit. We have solutions. We just need to implement them.
All right. I feel I, I feel somewhat better. Uh, we're going to finish up with anything else. Uh, we're going to wrap up this communications breakdown as every week by asking that very question, something I asked at the end of every interview I've ever conducted. Anything else? It's an opportunity for each of us to uh, let us, each of you to let me know what we forgot, something comms-oriented that's got you itching and wanted to give it a good rhetorical scratch. Who wants to go first? So be a part of the solution, right? Be a part of the change. Be be a part of what's going to fix these problems. If it's just you doing the podcast, if it's just me and Drew working our butts off, we're not going to fix the problem. If you're listening to this, we need you. We need you to help solve the problem. Most of the pollution that I've helped solve came from someone calling me or emailing me and saying, hey, this is going on. This doesn't look right. So be a part of the solution. Just don't get bogged down. Get to work. All right. How about you, Drew? I would say that the glass is half full. I think we live in a really exciting time right now. Uh, A lot of these big environmental issues that we're facing are, are, are coming to a head, and we have the power to solve them. We need to be tuned in. We should be looking at new technologies like battery storage, wind, and solar, and recognizing it's the way of the future, and it's incumbent upon us to, like Matt said, get involved and see how you can help out and, um, you know, put in the uh, put in the hard work to get us to that brighter future we all want. For my anything else, I'm going to put in a quick plug for people. I suggest the following. The best way to make environmental stories stick in the news anyway with your constituents and with new audience as well, is to make them about the people at the center of the story. If you have compelling human stories about how bad policies or bad actors are affecting the environment, make them the face of your campaign. And if you don't, lower your expectations. I'll say it starkly. When it comes to the news, television in particular, it's the environment's effect on people that gets coverage more than it is the environment. We need to be focusing on people oriented stories to get these stories in the news that's my sense of it that does it for this edition of communications breakdown huge thanks to my cast drew ball thank you so much plug for environment nc environment north carolina matt Starr, quick plug for all river keepers and certainly the upper noose river keeper also want to lend a thanks to the john locke foundation for letting us tape this podcast in their studio and a huge thanks to my good friend marcus urani for producing today's music you can find the full interviews today that we did with uh, dan crawford and frank holloman on our website that's campsitestrategies.com Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so each new episode hits your feed when it's posted. If you like us, rate the show. Tell your friends. Add us on social. Let us know what you think is most helpful. That's at Campsite SC on social platforms. You can also use the hashtag communications breakdown. We'll be back in your feed next week. Till then, remember, words matter, so take them seriously. Seriously.